Um, but I could say every week, and that is open your actual Bibles, all right? Uh, I'll have much of the scripture on the, on the screen, uh, but we're going to be covering a large portion of text that would be cumbersome to have to read it off the screen. And we're not going to read all of it. I'm going to reference parts of it. So if you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, uh, that will be helpful for you as, as you take notes or as we talk and you can underline or highlight things and go back to it later as we, uh, as we continue through uh, today. Um, so my hope is that my computer went to sleep which has not happened. So let's see. There we go. Thank you, guys. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I didn't have that up for you. Uh, Oh, and by the way, the reason that Chris hit the microphone is in the first service, uh, the scripture reading, it wasn't working. All right. So that's why he was here for the first service. He's serving with his family over in Children's Church. And uh, so that's the explains, as you know, the rest of the story. Uh, it was actually kind of funny if you were here in the first service. Um, uh, but anyway, we're, gonna, we're, we're here for Palm Sunday. We're here for, to, to say Hosanna to the King. Uh, and my, my thought as moving forward today, and now that you've actually had the, uh, the illustration uh, of the Wilkins family already uh, telling you what's going on in their life, uh, let me ask you to, to consider this um, reality, is that we live in a world where people are ignorant in their knowledge of Jesus. Now, this may be something that you're aware of every day, depending on where you work, where you live, uh, who your association, uh, you associate with. Uh, you may realize that there are we're, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Uh, when I grew up, there was a, a Judeo-Christian ethic uh, that was on its way out, but I didn't know that because I was going to church every Sunday. I was being told about Jesus. Uh, I, I learned much more about Jesus in my later life, but, but I mean, I, I understood the, the basics of who Jesus is. But we live in a world today that is in a large part, ignorant to who he is. They have, in a large part, they, they do not have accurate knowledge. They use his name often. They hear him referenced, but they don't really know much about him. And so uh, if, since that's the context we're in, we can celebrate a church being planted in an area of, the, of our country that is sorely ignorant of who Jesus is. Uh, I had a uh, discussion with uh, actually a couple different families recently and who are from the South and, or have lived there a portion of their life, and certainly we have for many years. And, uh, and there, there really is, in certain areas, literally a church on every corner. Everybody considers themselves Christian. But we don't have that here in New England. And so for us to have a church being planted is something that we can get excited about because it is one of the things that is key to dispelling the ignorance about Jesus Christ, to have churches uh, um, uh, growing in our area and being planted is a beautiful thing. But this is the world we live in. And, and so for those who have access to a Bible, and this is not just talking about believers, this is talking about all people who possess a Bible, there is no excuse for their ignorance of who Jesus Christ is. They have been given the Word of God. We, we, we read, most of us will read the Word of God daily. 
or, or at least good portions of it throughout the week. And, and we, we, we are, I'm literally preaching to the choir, the fact that you have your Bibles here and we're looking at this, uh, this, 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 this reality of, of trying to profess the true Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Uh, but whether, whatever your family upbringing has been, there are many people who possess Bibles that will never open them. And they will never reference them. They will never read the words of life that are contained in God's word to set them free from their sin, to set them free from the bondage of death, right? To, to, to truly be free. So all those who have access to a Bible, Christians and non-Christians, right? There's no excuse for their ignorance. Nonetheless, there are many people out there who are ignorant. So in, in Matthew 21.10, the scripture reading that we read earlier, it says, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And, and we can picture the, the tremendous joy that was in the air as Jesus um, was, he, he has been uh, conducting his earthly ministry uh, publicly for three years. Uh, certainly his ministry started much younger uh, as he corrected the, uh, the religious leaders uh, in the temple, even when he was a young boy. But this, this, there was a buzz in the community of Jerusalem, and it was over this question, who is this? There was an ignorance of sorts in their day. It's not the same ignorance. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have, they didn't have the name of Jesus and the, and the words of Jesus in red. They didn't have that. But they had the Old Testament, and they knew the prophecies, and this is the city of Jerusalem. This is God's city full of God's people. This is a feast of God uh, that is celebrated yearly, and it's pointing to the Passover, that time when, when the, the angel of death uh, came over the, 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 the nation of Egypt, and all the firstborn died except for those who had the blood applied to the doorpost. And the angel of death uh, you know, came over and passed over them, and they lived. It's a beautiful remembrance. Well, here's Jesus coming into this, this particular setting, and we know who Jesus is, at least most of us in this room do. If you're here this morning and you don't, maybe you were invited to come. Maybe it's because it's, it's Passion Week, Holy Week, Easter Week. Uh, maybe, it's, uh, maybe that's why you're here, because you, you want to know more. We're going to talk a lot about who Jesus is, because he is so much more than what our world gives him credit to be. So this is the question, and we're going to be looking at this, uh, who, who is this, uh, from Matthew 20, chapter 21 through chapter 26. We're not going to finish chapter 26, and I'm not reading the whole thing. But I want to answer this question for us so that we are better prepared to tell people who Jesus is, and so we can also understand for ourselves who he is. So who is this Jesus that we're talking about? Well, first of all, he is the prophet of Nazareth. Uh, look in your Bibles uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 21, uh, verse 11. <clears throat> says, so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. There were people who were in the know. Who is this guy? What's going on? Well, he's the, he's the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Right? Remember, there was a, a disciple, a later disciple, who said, can anything good come out of, you know, uh, Galilee? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and so he is the prophet of Nazareth. There was an expectation of a prophet unlike, uh, excuse me, there was an expectation of a prophet like Moses that was going to come. And, and here is Jesus as a prophet, and he is a prophet. 
He's prophet, priest, and king. And he's going to fulfill all those roles of that office as, we, as he goes through this Passion Week. But here, the first thing we encounter from verse 11 is that he is the prophet of Nazareth. That actually spoke to that day and that time to those people like, oh, okay, he's the prophet of Nazareth. Well, who else is he? He, he, he is also the lowly king on a donkey. And, and so when you look at, uh, at verse 5 of chapter 21, it says... Um, uh, it's a quotation from Zechariah. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, the king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. We went not too long ago. We, we, uh, we encourage you to, to read the book Gentle and Lowly. And, and Jesus described himself as being gentle and lowly. As he enters into this, the city of Jerusalem for the last time prior to... Uh, well, I would say last time through this gate, this is foretold that he's going to come through this gate. He actually would leave the city to go sleep and then come back in the morning to the temple. But as we understand, this is a significant event. It's fulfilling scripture. And he's entering this not as the crowned king, but as the lowly king. The one that people are wondering, who is this? Trust me, when Jesus returns, there will be no question about who he is. And, and we're gonna, we'll finish with that thought uh, at the end of the sermon. But for now, he's, he's the one that's entering as the lowly king, the one that was prophesied by Zechariah. He is the son of David. This is a huge terminology that's used throughout uh, uh, the Gospels. And, and, um, and so we, and Jesus you know, refers to himself this way. And, and, he, and so I'm not going to read all those verses, but they're all significant for this title of son of David. Who is this son of David? We see in verses 9, uh, we see it referenced first. Uh, again, a quotation, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We'll reference that in, in, a, in a moment again. But look at verse 15. Uh, 9 is actually, a or 11 is a mistake. But verse, uh, verse 15, he says, But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, right? Jesus is coming into the city. He's been doing these miracles. He's... he's uh, uh, he's, he's, his fame is being known broader and broader. It says that when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. Save us now. There was this, this uh, the, uh, the, what, part of this buzz was they knew they were seeing something more than likely supernatural about to take place. Because God had foretold of this prophet of come, that would come like Moses. It foretold of the son of David, the coming king. And they, they understood this coming king that was going to come and establish his kingdom. And all they could know from their perspective was that it was going to overthrow the, the kingdom of Rome. And, and they were going to have freedom. And, and finally they would be able to, to do what God had called them to do. And there was, a, there was excitement in the air. Because he was the son of David. There was so much excitement, the kids got caught up into it. And they were also saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And it upset the religious leaders of the day when they heard these little children saying that, uh, it's, they said, uh, and continuing on in, in verse uh, 15, uh, says, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. It says that the religious leaders were indignant 
Verse 16, and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the, mouths, uh, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? I think there's a lot more there as we talk about worship that we could probably unpack with, with that particular text out of Psalm 8. Uh, but it's the idea of there, Jesus is saying, no, what they are saying is true. And it is happening in your midst. And you're, it, you, you being angry or indignant is not the right response you're supposed to have. Uh, when you, uh, I'm going to just bring your attention to chapter 22, 41. We'll turn back to 21 in a minute. But the son of David also comes, comes up in chapter 22, verse 41. It says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Jesus is routinely calling the religious leaders to look at Jesus. Right? He's saying, look at me. Look at your Bible. Look at me. Look at your Bible. Do you see the similarities? Do you see the difference? Do you see the message? And they're like, no, we don't get it. And, and, and so he's saying, listen, I am the son of David. I am the one who was promised a kingdom that would last forever. So who is this Jesus entering into this city? He is the one who comes in the name of the Lord in fulfillment of that, of that uh, text that we've already looked at. He is the promised one. He is the one zealous for the worship of God. If you turn, uh, look at chapter 21, verse 12, and we see the famous uh, event where Jesus comes into the temple, verse 12. Uh, he, he, he went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus in these, there's two events, uh, it is believed there's two events uh, where Jesus overturns the money-changing tables. The one when he's really relatively unknown, right? Uh, and then this one where he is very well known, and, and so he comes on the scene, and we, we usually term this event as Jesus ex, uh, expressing his zealousness for God. But I'm, I'm just saying he is zealous for worship. He says, listen, this thing that you're doing, this evil, this, this cheating of your brothers and sisters, your fellow Israelites that are trying to come and worship and do what God has called them to do, and you're taking them for a ride, you're taking more money than necessary to do what needs to get done. He says, listen, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. And prayer is an aspect of worship. It's one of the things that we are encouraged to increase through, uh, as we were, went through our assessment. And so we have certain aspects that we have tried to encourage in prayer. We meet for prayers uh, every Monday through Friday from 6.30 to 6.45, just 15 minutes. But we're together and we pray. We, we had a prayer group that was started. It, it didn't take hold. We will try that again. And I'm thankful for all those who, who tried to participate in that. But we need to be a church who's also zealous for prayer, uh, zealous for worship, because our Savior is zealous for the worship of God. And we see that. This is who he is. 
He is the one who is the healer of the blind and lame. We're familiar with these stories. But right on the heels of that text, we, in verse 14, we see that he healed all those that came to him, both that were lame and blind. And Jesus heals them. And, and certainly the rumors became true for all those people who were saying, who is this? And then, then, oh, he's the guy that, you know, he's done this and he's healed people. And then they get to see him heal people right then and there. That's who Jesus is. He is the one who exercises authority over creation. Now, this is, a, this is a large section of text, chapter 21, 19 through 46. But what am I referencing? Well, in verse 19, we see that um, he curses a fig tree. He says in verse 19, And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. That's some kind of authority. All right? None of us could do that. None of us could go and make that pronouncement. But Jesus does. He has authority over creation. But but a fig tree is not the only aspect of creation he has authority over. And when we get into verse 23 and following, we see that uh, now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus, you're familiar with the text. He says, well, wait a minute. I'll answer your question if you answer mine. Is the baptism of God of man, excuse me, is the baptism of John of God or of man? And they go confer over here, and they're like, well, if we say it's of man, the people will get all all upset. If we say it's of God, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? So they came forward after the deliberation, and they, they said, we don't know. And Jesus says very clearly, If you can't answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours because the answer to my question is the answer to your question. If they had been honest and said the baptism of John was of God and John the Baptist is the one who pointed to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they would have believed and they would have come to know Jesus the way we're intended to know Jesus. But he has, he has authority over all of creation. He has authority over, uh, uh, over all that is taking place. And he, he demonstrates this authority by drawing them in to a couple parables. There's a parable of the two sons. The two sons is, the, is a story where he tells the one son, hey, go out in the field. And the son says no. Uh, and then he repents later and goes into the field and does his work. Tells the other son, uh, hey, I want you to go in the field. The son says, sure, I'll go, and then doesn't go. And it's the idea of the faith, who, which son was faithful. And they were like, the one who obeyed, the one who did the work. And notice what he says at the end of that passage. He says uh, in verse uh, 31, in the middle of 31, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God. Before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. If you who have, you know, the first shall be last, last shall be first, you that have been given the promises of God, you that have been given the word of God, you that, that know so much, and I showed up and you missed it, but others have come to faith. And so he is demonstrating through that story, through the story of the parable of the wicked vine dressers, the ones who killed the king's son, 
The king lets his land out, rents his land out to, to some, uh, uh, some folks, and, and they work the land, and the king sends his emissaries to collect some of the profits from that, and they treat them shamefully. He finally sends his son, and they kill his son, a perfect description of what God has done. I have given you Israelites more favor than any other people of God. And I'm Jesus, his very son, is saying these words, and he's foretelling, he's foretelling his death. He's saying, listen, the king sends his son, and you kill him. And he's establishing through this all that, that he is, has authority over all creation because he is the king. He is the one who sends. He is the one that can bring judgment and all those things. So we go on and we see that within this section is the idea that he is the chief cornerstone. This is also a fulfillment of prophecy. At a verse 22, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in Scripture? Don't you love the way Jesus tells the religious leaders who base their life and living on, on uh, knowing the Word of God? Have you never read in Scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous, and it is marvelous in, in our eyes. Therefore, Jesus says, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruit, uh, bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. I love that vision. He's the chief cornerstone. Are you resting on the chief cornerstone? Have you come to know the 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 cosmos is anchored in Jesus. Salvation is anchored in Jesus. Your life, whether you know it or not, needs to be anchored in Jesus. It is not this who, it's not the Jesus, we'll talk about what people think, who Jesus, who they think Jesus is, but I'm asking for you here, have you come to know the chief cornerstone, the one that everything is centered on, the one that upholds all things? Because he says here, whoever falls on the stone will be broken. As my understanding of that text is saying, if you fall upon the stone of Jesus, the chief cornerstone, you'll be broken. But it, it is a good brokenness. It is a humbling. It is a recognition that you can't do anything for your salvation. Jesus Christ has done it on. But woe to those who the, who the stone falls upon. That's talking about future judgment. Those that do not come to faith in Christ, but the stone that falls upon them, it says whoever it falls on, it will grind him to powder. It is ultimate destruction. We use these nice names for Jesus on a regular basis. Son of David, son of man, chief cornerstone. They're very pleasant. But what they teach is a twofold reality. That will come clear as we go through here. He is the one who ex can explain what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, in our life group on Thursday night, we, we talked about a, a passage uh, prior to the, the triumphal entry uh, where, where it says, and the kingdom of God is like. And he says it throughout this section as well, verses 22, uh, 10, 22, 1 through 14. He says, the kingdom of God is like. And I want you to ask, just pause you for a second and say, who knows what the kingdom of God is like? Do you? Apart from Scripture. Apart from Scripture, do you know what the kingdom of God is like? No. Who can make that claim? The king can make that claim. Hosanna to the king. He can make that claim. He is the one that can explain all facets of the kingdom of God, what it is like. 
He is the one who cannot be tricked. He cannot be, uh, as, as you look in verse 15, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, you can see that the religious leaders are trying to trip him up. In chapter 22, 15, it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. The living word of God. And they're going to try and trip him up. Jesus was, they were no match for Jesus ever. And so he cannot be tricked. He can also, uh, he is also being, going to be encountered by the Sadducees. So first the, the Pharisees along with the Herodians. And then, he, then in verse 23, we see the same day, the Sadducees, verse, yeah, verse 23, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offering, uh, offspring for his brother. And we know that t- t- text, and they're trying to trick him uh, as well. But what they, what they encounter is Jesus steps in and says, because they're saying, Listen, if this person marries and, and he dies without a child, and then he's, she's handed off to his brother, and he dies without having a child, and, and then and you go through, and she's handed off to each of the brothers, whose wife will she be in heaven? Right? They think they've got him. It's like uh, they think they're so smart. He says, verse 29, he answered them and said, you are mistaken. You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Who are these people? These are the Sadducees. These are the, the elite Christian, or excuse me, elite Jewish leaders. For in the resurrection there is neither marrying nor given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And, and he makes this very clear. But notice verse 33. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. He teaches with authority. He teaches with knowledge. He teaches in a way that nobody was ever able to teach. Why? Because he is Jesus, Son of God, all these things. He is the one who reveals inner thoughts and motives. When you get into chapter 23, verses 1 through 12, you start to see Jesus describing to the people the the nature of the thought life and and the motives of the Pharisees. He says in verse uh, 2, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. He was saying, he, and then he just undresses, he just reveals them in front of everybody. He tells everybody there what their motives are and, and what their thoughts are, because he knows and he, and he I, I imagine, I try to imagine what would it have been like to be a scribe or a Pharisee in that particular moment and to come to a realization that, you know what, this guy that I'm trying to trick, I'm trying to, you know, trap, he's right. There were those who came to faith in the scribes, the Pharisees. There were those who came to faith. And I wonder if this is part of that repentance process for them. That's, that's a thought. That's not, thus saith the Lord. But he is the one who calls out sin this is, this is a tremendous passage. People love this particular passage, Matthew 23, 13 through 36. If you just want to look there, just look at, if, you're, if your um, Bible has paragraphs, look at the head of each paragraph. Woe to you, scribes, 
Pharisees and hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, blind guides, verse 16. Fools and blind, 19. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 23. Blind guides, 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 25. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. He is calling them out in their sin. And he's being very specific. He says in verse 31, Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus was calling out sin. And he still, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will call us out of ours. If you will engage in his word and and ask ask this question, who is this Jesus? He will reveal himself to you as you get into his word. And as the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, what Jesus is doing is a good thing. Because until one is called out in their sin, they can't come to repentance. He is the one who foretells the destruction of Jerusalem. Over the neck, I'm going to go through these quickly, but Jesus knew that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Uh, his disciples were mesmerized by the beautiful architecture of the, of the temple and, and the temple grounds. And Jesus said, there's not going to be one stone left on another. And in A.D. 70, that came to be true. He is the one that foretells the coming of tribulation. He not only knows uh, what's going to happen in in, the near future, but it's even a distant future, this coming of tribulation. And and ultimate tribulation will be a time reserved for the end end of the end times. We're already in the end times. But I'm saying there's been tribulation for believers from, from the time of Jesus till today. There are people going through tribulation now. But he's saying there's this future time of tribulation, and it's coming. He's the one that can foretell his, his own second coming, even beyond that tribulation. He can say, listen, you don't recognize, you don't even know who I am necessarily, but I am the one who's coming again. And I'm coming again to bring judgment. I'm going to be that one as king who separates the sheep and the goats. The ones who will, who, the sheep will be, uh, enter into everlasting life and the goats everlasting darkness. All this is portrayed in Matthew. All this is taking place in that week from the time that he enters the city until the time of the, of the Last Supper. All this is being said about Jesus. He's saying it about himself. He's explaining these things. He's the one that foretells things. He's the one that foretells his coming crucifixion. In the passage, just prior to the triumphal entry, Jesus tells his disciples once again, for the third time he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. And what, do, what, do, what happens? The mother of James and John says, hey, listen, can my boy sit at the right hand and the left, right? 
It was like, okay, where are you coming from, lady? Right? But it's like, no. Jesus is telling them. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. But he knows. And he didn't turn back. He is the one who honors those who honor him. In Matthew 26, 6 through 16, there's a very special uh, passage. Um, it is the one that uh, highlights this lady who comes in. She's unnamed in this text. And she says in verse 6, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. There's that same word, that word that was spoken to the religious leaders now being uh, uh, used towards Jesus' disciples. They were angry. They were upset, uh, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever this gospel, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told uh, as a memorial to her. God honors those who honor him. He, he does tell us, Jesus tells us, if you confess me before others, my, I will confess you to my Father. There's this, this, this idea that we are, as, as his followers, as, as his disciples, we, we will be honored by our faith. Not, not honored that's undue. And, and it's, it, we're, we're due this honor as we live by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God has for those. But who is this Jesus coming in to the city? He is the one that does all these things. But people are ignorant. They don't understand. Finally, we'll just consider he is the one who is betrayed by a friend. Is there any more cutting pain in the world than to be betrayed by someone close? Someone that knows you, like Judas knew Jesus. And this text is, is the text where Judas decides, you know what? I'm going to go to the chief priests. I'm going to ask him, what do you want? What will you give me if I betray Jesus. Uh, if you've watched the series Chosen, uh, the first two seasons I've watched, uh, the, the end of the second season, I believe, ends with the introduction of Judas. I have not watched any of the series of the third season, um, but I'm, I'm excited to do so. I just, I'll binge watch it. I've got to wait for them all to come out, so I can binge watch, binge watch it. I can't wait, right? Uh, so, but this is, this is, he's betrayed. So we live in a world where people are ignorant in their knowledge of Jesus, so what do people believe about Jesus? The people that you associate with in your home and in your workplace and, and, and where you hang around, the people that, that you're interacting with. To them, Jesus may be just a good person. To them, he may be a good example. I hear this one often. We, how, how, how is a person supposed to live their life? Well, we're supposed to live it like Jesus. We're supposed to follow his example, and that's it. No faith in what has transpired on the cross. No, no uh, talk of sin and repentance and atonement. Jesus is a prophet like other prophets. He is a prophet, but he's not a prophet like other prophets. He's a prophet that transcends all the prophets. They all, all the other prophets pointed to him. But some people, and there are many major world religions that will acknowledge Jesus as a prophet, but they will not acknowledge him as the Son of God, and they will not acknowledge him as, as um, their Savior. Some church history demonstrates there's people that believe that Jesus is a man but not God. That was one of the heresies that, that existed. 
uh, in the past, still in many forms today. Uh, some people believe Jesus is God but not man. All right? He didn't really die. He wasn't really physical, and, and that's not as prominent nowadays, but it's still out there, and it's been out there through church history. But I have one last one I'll, I'll put on here because this probably pretty much encompasses uh, anyone who, who you might interact with that has an opinion about Jesus that isn't biblical. And what is that? Jesus is whoever I need him to be. At this particular time, in this particular moment, I need Jesus to be somebody. Because I hear this name, and I don't, know that, I don't know him with accuracy. I'm ignorant, but I can say this. I know he's a good guy. And I know in my time of need, other people call out to him. And I, 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 so I, I need him to be whoever I need him to be. But it's not the Jesus of Scripture. There's ignorance out there. We live in a world of ignorance, specifically on the person and work of Jesus Christ. But for those who know Jesus, which is us, there is no excuse for allowing people to remain ignorant about Jesus. You think about this for a minute. Who led you to the Lord? Who led that person that led you to the Lord to the Lord? Who led that person who led you to the Lord who led the Lord? You know what I'm saying. Who, who, who did it? Faithful people who understood the gospel and understood it's the responsibility of every disciple to make a disciple who can make a disciple. It's not enough to get our kids saved. It's not enough. We have to raise our children to know how to lead someone else to Christ, not just with the Romans road, which is a great road to travel, but to know how to live out their faith and how to deal with with all the, th- the things in life and to be able to trust God and lean not on their own understanding but acknowledge Him in all their ways and let Him direct their path. That's what we are supposed to be as believers. There's no excuse for people to be ignorant about Jesus if they own a Bible, but there's no excuse for us to allow people to remain in their ignorance. We have the ability to speak, write, do all kinds of different things. So here are the words of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Here's a guy who, who came on the scene, denied, denied Jesus three times, uh, and on this fabulous day of Pentecost, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. What does he say to these people that are wondering who Jesus is? He says, men of Israel, hear these words. It's out of Acts 2. It's on the screen. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. You saw him. You heard him. You may have even touched him. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. It was God's plan. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. It is God's plan, but man is accountable. Whom God raised up, praise God, the resurrection right there, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Then jumping down to verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. They were seeing these fishermen and these these nobodies speaking in tongues and speaking in known languages and, the, and, the, and professing the, the, the deity of Christ, the power of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and, and the Spirit was making himself known, and the gospel was going, force, going forth in force. 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus. Who are we been talking about? Who is this? This Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Notice what's taking place here. Their ignorance was exposed. The truth was made known and the light of the gospel had come into their lives and they were cut to the quick. They're cut to the heart and they said, what are we supposed to do? Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as our Lord God will call. A church is getting ready to be planted in our area in response to the power of the gospel. We need to understand the significance that as many as the Lord our God will call, will respond to the gospel. And the gospel the call still goes out and must continue to go out. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. If there is ever a perverse generation, we're living it. I think every generation has been perverse in its own way, but certainly we are too, and the need of the gospel is there. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So who is this? As we talk about Jesus out of Acts 2, 36, this is Jesus who is both Lord and Christ. He is Lord. He has all authority over everything. He is Christ. He has paid it all on the cross. There is no other atoning sacrifice that can be made for sin. Jesus did it all as Lord and Christ. People need to know who Jesus is, and they need to know his story. And I can't preach a whole other message about the rest of the story because we really need to finish up here. But let me just say, we are in Easter week, Passion week, Holy week, whatever week you want to call it. We're in a week where people are hearing the name of Jesus, and they're wondering, who is he? Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're joining us online. Maybe you're going to watch this later. But I'm telling you, do you know who Jesus is? And here's our opportunity, folks. Stepping up to the responsibility we have, let's tell them the story. We can start with today. Was it a triumphal entry? Not to pop anybody's bubble. I mean, it was truly the king entering into Jerusalem. It was significant. But no, actually, it was a humble entry. He came on a donkey. It was a prophesied donkey, but it was, it was a donkey. And yes, he's, it didn't cheapen his, his, his kingship, but he came humbly. That's, what, that's part of his story. We, we can continue the story for Good Friday and say it was a gruesome death. Crucifixion? Disgusting, gruesome death. This is the story people need to hear because our king came lowly and humble. For the sake of others. He, he died a gruesome death for the sake of others. And his triumphal resurrection, there's triumph. That's Easter Sunday. That's what we're going to celebrate. The triumph of Christ resurrecting from the dead. He did that in the power of God. And it gave testimony to his 
to the power of sin and death being destroyed. And if you want to come to faith in Christ today and you want to confess your sins and you want to do what Peter said and repent and come to faith in Jesus, you can do that because this story is true. And it has changed lives for generations and it will continue to change lives until Jesus comes again. So on the first Palm Sunday, people failed to understand the significance of Jesus' entry in Jerusalem. They were abuzz, they were excited, and it was a form of triumph, but not as they understood it. Their shouts of, Hosanna, save now, were really focused on their temporal world and on their physical world. They were not thinking about spiritual salvation. They did not grasp the cost for their salvation, which is Jesus going to die on that cross in just one week's time. On this Palm Sunday for us, May we not only understand the significance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, may we proclaim it so people can escape their ignorance and come to faith in Jesus. That is what we are all about as a Christian church, making disciples and maturing them to the point where they are able to make other disciples, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to finish with this passage out of Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The ignorance that is present in our world will not always be ignorance because there's coming a point in time where every living being who's ever lived will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if we go back to that Matthew passage, we can rejoice the fact that we're part of the lambs who will live eternal life. But what about all those goats? What about all those goats? Listen, God is going to do what God's going to do, but he has called us to live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It had changes lives. It, we must be a church that's focused on continuing the, promote, the, the proclamation of the gospel, not just from this pulpit, but in our living rooms, in our kitchens, in our workplaces, in the park, in the mechanics waiting room, wherever you might be, the gospel is going to change lives. We need to be obedient to God, and we need to respond to him in love by seeking to let people know about his son who is king. Hosanna to the king. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just your graciousness in our lives to allow us to know the gospel. Thank you for what you're doing in the, in the lives of the Wilkins family and, and drawing them to uh, take a step of faith. I pray, Lord, that you would do that with many lives, 
that you would do it with all the lives in our church, that you would, you would help each of us understand what is the next step of faith I am called to take. I know who Jesus is. And Father, I need your help to tell others. I know who Jesus is. I need to love my spouse in response. I know who Jesus is. I need to serve in some capacity. I know who Jesus is. Father, help me to live my life honoring my Savior for what he's already done for me. Father, I pray that as we each may pray that prayer, that we would, we would leave this place with the, in, uh, with the intent of honoring you with our lives and being faithful. Father, we just pray for anyone who does not know the love of Christ, that they would continue to ask the question of who is this until they receive the answer that results in their salvation. And may you use us to give them that answer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.